You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. grave gonna hold my body down. (laughs) That got me fired up today. Um, It's been a long time since I've been here and man you guys have grown tremendously and um, the spirit is like electric in this place (laughs) and I love it. Um, Today we'll be in John chapter um, 17 verse 1 through 11 And where we're headed is, I want to talk with you all about the life that Jesus has invited us into, which is the kingdom life, the life in which we have an interactive relationship with the Father, where we get a chance to interface with him in the ordinary and in the everyday. And not only that, this life in the kingdom, in the kingdom of the heavens, is a life that will entail great glory in the future. Jesus said in, in this prayer, he says, Father, the glory that you've given me, I give to them. And the scripture goes on further to say in Revelation chapter 3, that those who overcome will sit down with me on my throne, even as I overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. Jesus says that. Great promises, great, great glory coming in the future for us. And not only that, we do have the assurance with him that there will be a safe journey for us. Even though we will go through various trials, many troubles in this life, pain, sickness, death, he says the journey will be safe. And we're going to look at that. And we know it will be safe because He has ensured that your faith would not fail. He's prayed for you that your faith will not fail. In the midst of that, we know that the inheritance that is coming is an outrageous one. Why do we know that? Romans 8.17 tells us that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And what is an heir? Excuse me? What is an heir? Yeah. If you're a co-heir with somebody, what does that mean? And you get what they... Mmm. Wow. And what is that? And we don't even know what everything is. Right? It's amazing. Um, So that's where we're headed today. Um, I have five points in my outline. Um, We may not get there, but we're going to fly this plane. We're going to build it while we're flying. And if we get a chance to land, so be it. If not, we're going to jump out with parachutes. (laughs) All right. 
So John chapter 17, verse 1 through 11, it says, reading from the New International Translation, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So my first point is a head toward heaven. And in this text, we see in verse one, we see after Jesus said these things, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Jesus lived in the awareness of an interactive relationship with the Father. He knew that when he prayed that he was talking with God and that God heard him. And we see this interactive relationship happening in a physical world. Jesus knew the nearness of the Father. As the psalmist says in Psalm 73 verse 28, it is good for me to be near to God. Just as an artist sees the canvas as the context for his painting. Jesus saw the, the everyday life, the, the physical world, his interactions in its environment as the opportunity, as the context in which he interfaced with the Father. His everyday life was an experience in the kingdom of God, and that's how I believe that we should see our lives. And we know where the kingdom is based on where the presence of the Lord is. And where the kingdom is, there God is ruling. And the kingdom is with us. And Jesus is within us. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God does not come with observation. So you cannot like, you can't go looking in cracks and crevices for it. He says that it doesn't work like that. He says the kingdom of God is actually in your midst. And he saw that the kingdom was actually present in his embodiment. Wherever he showed up is where the kingdom was. And not only that, it's, it's here. It's, it's right here where we are. But you can't see it. You, you can't experience it unless you're born into it. And when you're finally born into the kingdom, you get the opportunity to see things finally from God's perspective. There's a story of a pastor who was um, taking over um, a parish in Scotland. 
And it was a small congregation, about 30, 40 people. And they had been through a series of pastors. And so when he got there and he began preaching, people felt like, I don't know if I really like this guy. But he gave it his best. He tried to meet with people on a regular basis. He would do these visits with his wife to members' homes. And over time, it seems that he had won over the entire congregation except for this one family, particularly the wife of this family. And so he and his wife decided to just, let's pay her a visit at her home, you know, while they're doing visits during the week. And so he and his wife, they pull up into the parking lot of her apartment and they get out the car and the lady is staring out the window, looking at the parking lot as the pastor and his wife get out the car. And so they get out the car, they look up just to survey the environment, and they look in the window and they see the lady, and as soon as they caught contact, she closed the curtains. So they took, took the journey up the stairs, went to a door, knocked on the door, nothing. And then he just goes again, nothing. He's like, I know you're in there. I just saw you in the window. No sound. So he's knocking again. And then he said, well, let me just look through the keyhole because they had one of those skeleton keyholes. So he gets down and he looks through the keyhole. And there on the other side, the woman is staring back at him. <laughs> and he says, finally, we've seen things eye to eye. And that's what God does for us in the kingdom. He brings us into his family. He lifts us up from our lowly places. He changes our perspective. He allows us by his spirit to see things eye to eye. This is life in the kingdom of God. So once you're born again, you can become conscious of an interactive relationship with God. You can become conscious of an interactive relationship with God upon which your, your life becomes the stage upon which he converses with you. As it is written in him, we live and move and have our being. In him, we live and move and have our existence. So it is not enough to say that God exists within the universe. It's too small of a statement. The universe exists within God. In him, we live and move and have our being. So Jesus knew that when he spoke, he knew that the Father heard him. He knew that when he communicated with the Father, that he himself was standing in this spiritual place. He was standing in the Holy of Holies. He was standing at the throne. He was standing there where angels feared to tread. He was standing in the place where Isaiah said that the burning ones, the seraphs were flying around, they're covering their faces and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He's standing in that place. And because of his sacrifice, because of the death that he died and the life that he now lives for God's glory, he has invited you into that same place. And he says, look, you can lift up your head. You can converse with the father 
and you don't have to cover your faces. You've been invited into the Holy of Holies. You've been invited into this place from which all life has come, the center of the universe. You have been invited into the place where John says in Revelation chapter 4, I saw a throne in heaven. And there was one who was seated on the throne whose appearance was like jasper and ruby. And a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white with crowns of gold on their heads. You get invited into that space. You get to interface with God right there. That's one of the meanings of what Paul says in Ephesians that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The book of Hebrews says you get a chance to you get a chance to embolden the throne. You get a chance to come into the throne room of God and to approach that place for grace and mercy in the time of need. You get to come there. Not just some random God out here somewhere and I'm trying to reach him. You get to stand where all things have come from. In the holiest place in the universe, you get to stand. How beautiful is that? The priests of God. It's wonderful, huh? So Jesus knew that he was acting in concert with the Father, and the Father acting in concert with him. Jesus said, my Father's house has many rooms in John chapter 14. And then in this chapter, chapter 16, chapter 17, he lifts up his head to the sky, and he faces the Father and the Father's house and the cosmos, and he prays. What does this indicate about Jesus' belief of where the Father is when this prayer is being prayed? What does it indicate? He's standing here. He lifts up his head. And he prays. His eyes are open. What does it indicate about what Jesus believes about the Father's presence? Play my game. (laughs) That he's present. Present where? Hmm? With us. And with Jesus there in the moment, right? He's talking with the Father. He why would he lift up and pray to emptiness? Why would he lift up his head and pray to a God who wasn't there? He lifts up his head, his eyes are open, and he says, Father. He knows that his world is immersed in God. 
He knows that. This is an everyday occurrence. He's with his disciples. He lifts up his head and he prays and he knows that he is being seen. The Father's watching. He's not trying to invoke the presence of God, bring down the presence of God. He's there. He's there. And that's where you are in him. He's there. He lifts up his head in praise. And he knew that the father heard him. And the Father hears you speaking in his house the way you would hear someone speaking to you in yours. Isn't that wonderful? Lift up your head. Lift up your head. How do you normally pray? This is not about methodology, you know, but... It, it says something. How do you normally pray? Head bowed, eyes closed. Yeah. We normally pray that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to ask ourselves, what does this say about my belief of God's presence in the moment? What is it saying? What is it saying? Jesus believed that the Father was with him. Um, but many times we don't see the heavens and God being present and near as Jesus himself saw it. So therefore we are chronically oppressed with this sense of spiritual aloneness in the world. But it's a world that's bursting at the seams with God. So Jesus lifts up his head to the atmosphere, to the heavens, to the Father who is there but unseen. And he prayed. And my question is, why would he lift up his head and pray to a God who wasn't actually there? He believed it. He knew this. He knew this. He knew that there is an integration of matter and spirit, an integration of heaven and earth, and where he was, God was. And where he showed up, the Father's presence was as near as his own breathing. And that's true for every single one of you who are in him. Who are in him. We are all the carriers of the presence of God in Christ by the power of the Spirit because of our faith in him. Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, that God stretches out the heavens like a curtain and he spreads them like a tent to dwell in. And we know the heavens, the skies, even the skies above the skies and the, and the space beyond that isn't big enough for our God. But he feels it all. He feels it all. So this interaction with the Father, this integration of 
humans with the spirit, with the living God, this connection, this interfacing. It's what the Bible calls eternal life. Um, John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is like friendship with God is intimacy. I get to see into God, and God gets to see into me. It's when, it's when the real us meets the real him. And we finally can say for the first time in our lives that we have truly been known. And the two greatest needs that humans have is to know that they matter and that they belong. And God did that for you in Christ. He accomplished that for you. So knowing him is having it, eternal life. Eternal life is about intimacy with him. Friendship with God. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, The friendship of God is with those who fear him. The friendship of God is with those who fear him. That psalm goes on to say that the Lord confides in those who trust him. What? (laughs) Confide? In me? Wow. Stunning. Like, you should all just fall out of your chairs and, like, drool. It's astounding. I mean, the, these promises that we gain in Christ are just like, there's nothing compared to it. That's why Paul says in Corinthians, having these precious and great promises. Let us purify ourselves of everything that contaminates the body and the spirit. Because the promises are so great. Wow. God confides in you. Just go read it for yourself. Psalm 25. Get in there and just like you ever read something that touches you so deeply you just have to close the book. You just close it. Just I mean, I'm done. Just close the book, step back. I need to chew on that for a while. It's like that. Then you get back at it again, and it's like, man, I believe this. And then something else comes up, and you have to close it again. That's what this is. This Jesus thing, it's like that. So I want us to take notes from Jesus and to realize the relationship that we have with the Father because of what he accomplished for us. And I want us to learn to lift up our heads and to pray. Not because there's anything special, but because of what it indicates that the Father it's not far off. He's closer than the breath that we're breathing. Your Father in the heavens. Isn't that wonderful? Your Father in the heavens. And let us remember, as Jesus says in John 16, He says, You know, I won't ask the Father these things on your behalf. 
the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. So, point two, you got to keep me in line. I don't even know what time it is. Um, A glory received. So in chapter one, Jesus goes on to say, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And I just want to talk through this, this, these sentences here. Jesus knew that the hour had come. He, he knew all that would happen to him based on John 18, 4. He knew, he knew where the story was headed, but he was willing to, to brave the storm. He, he knew where it was going. He knew it would end up with him in great trouble, laying down his life. And he was willing to go regardless of what the cost was. Um, which is why it's called the passion of Christ. You, you know, you, you're not passionate about anything you're not willing to die for. You know, people say, well, I'm passionate about coffee. Would you die for coffee? <laughs> it's the passion of Christ. It's, it's like, I want these people so desperately that I'm willing to do whatever it would take to have them as my family. And so for him, Jesus knew that the Father was in control even when man was doing his worst. And he says in in chapter 18, verse 11, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So he knew who was orchestrating his world. He knew who was in control, and we too can know. There is a way to live in the kingdom of heavens in which we're able to see that truly this is our Father's world, as strange as things may be. And like Jesus, the events of our life, of our, of our lives, in pain, in strength, in weakness, in life, and in death, like Jesus, those things can be captured in the phrase, Father. The hour has come. Man may plan his steps, but God orders his path. And the experience of the cross, the shame that it brought, it came into the life of Jesus by the Father. The hour had come because the Father had timed it. And as maturing disciples in the kingdom of heavens, Our ultimate aim in those moments, in the moments when we can say, Father, the hour has come, in those moments of difficulty, those moments of trial, those moments of pain, in those ultimate, in those moments, our ultimate aim is that the Father, just like Jesus says in this passage, Father, glorify your name, glorify your Son. And we know that in the kingdom of the heavens, the driving force and the intent behind all activities and responsibilities is the glory of God. So whether we're eating or drinking or whatever we're doing, whatever is happening, we want to make sure God gets the greatest glory. Make sure he is on display. So Jesus' first request is, Father, glorify your son. And so as I'm thinking through this passage and I'm I'm meditating and asking questions, two things popped into my mind. First thing that popped into my mind was, how was Jesus glorified? 
And then the second thing that popped into my mind was like, could we pray a prayer like this? And so um, let's deal with the first question. How, how was Jesus glorified? And we know that he was glorified by just being lifted up. It says the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross. He will draw all people to himself. So he himself, through his death, through his resurrection, he was being lifted up and he was just drawing people to himself even in that moment. We know that Jesus glorified in his resurrection. He was glorified in his his ascension to the throne to sit with God in the heavens to rule the universe from that space. Question two, could we pray, pray a prayer like this? Uh, see, I don't know, maybe. Mm. Here are a few thoughts. Um, Jesus confronted the religious leaders in John chapter 5, verse 4, and he He confronted them for seeking glory that comes from human beings and not seeking glory that comes from God. And today, Jesus may be confronting some of us for seeking human glory. But the scripture goes on to say in in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, that those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he said to to them, God will give the life of the age to come, eternal life. We seek glory by being raised from the dead, for it is in this hope that we were saved. And we know that the present trials are not to be compared to the glory that will be revealed, Romans 8, 18. And this is one of my favorites in Matthew 13, verse 43, that in the age to come, the righteous will shine like the stars in the kingdom of their father. The righteous will shine like the stars in the kingdom of their father. Speaking of the future, Scripture says that those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness, they will shine like the stars forever and ever. And I have many more, but I I don't want to keep going there, but I would like to end with the Revelation 3.21. Jesus says to those who are victorious, they will sit with me on my throne, even as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. How many thrones are there in that verse? How many? That's not a rhetorical question. The one who is victorious, Jesus says, will sit down with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with the Father on his throne. (laughs) How many thrones are there in this verse? Wow. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Isn't that stunning? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his service what must soon take place. 
The one who is victorious would sit down with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with the Father on his throne, a kingdom of priests. You anticipate ruling with God? Do you anticipate that? Ruling with God. You're like, man, I can barely run the kingdom in my house. (laughs) These are incredible things. Training for reigning. That's what we're doing. You go to your work, you get responsibility, you have privilege, you perform a specific task, you do it in the joy of Jesus. You're preparing for the day when you will reign over all things with him. Co-heirs with Christ. Jesus says, John 17, 22, lastly, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. So yes, we can pray a prayer like this one. Father, I have given you the glory that you gave me. What was the glory that, Jesus, that the Father had given to Jesus? How, how is it described? He describes it as the glory I had with you before the world was. You know, the gospel is not just about forgiveness of sins. God purifies uh, purifies us of our sins so that he and we can share the same space. You're not just forgiven for forgiveness sake, right? And then he comes and moves inside of you, right? So your body becomes the home of God. You become a mobile home of Jesus, right? So you're like God's mobile home. So like wherever I show up, like God is there, not because he's in the atmosphere only because I carry him, right? And so that's what it means to be like the body of Christ, right? What are bodies for? You're the body of Jesus, the body of Christ. And if you saw me come into this room, right? Come into this room, you're all anticipating me coming. I'm late, right? Say I'm late and I'm supposed to be preaching, but I'm not here. And you're like, where is this guy? And you're looking through those doors and I come around and I'm coming out. You, you, you wouldn't say, look, there goes the body of Ron. Would you? You wouldn't say that. Either it's me or it's not me. It's not just my body coming through the door, right? So what does it mean for you to be the body of Christ? What does it mean? The invisible God becomes visible. That's what it means. 
It's going to mean that tomorrow when work starts. It'll never change in this age or the age to come. It'll, well, it will change. It's going to be better. <laughs> it's going to be so much better. Everything will be better. This will be better. Just turned 41, you know, it's like my back hurting and stuff. Like, that'll never happen again. Ever. Ever. Um, good. All right. Point three. <laughs> a name known. I'm moving mighty slow, I don't know. I don't know. Um, a name known. Point three. Uh, so verse, verse six, Jesus says, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. Um, one of the primary purposes um, for which Jesus came into the world was to make the Father known. Not only redemption, but to reveal the Father to us. And he accomplished this by becoming known himself and giving to his disciples the, the words the Father had given him. He was in the Father and the Father was in him. In response to Thomas, Jesus says, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, and the word know means to learn. It means to realize through personal experience, to have a personal encounter with someone, a firsthand encounter. And Jesus revealed the Father whom he embodied by allowing others to have a personal experience with him by becoming known. So this is how Jesus explains being the visible expression of the invisible God. He says, if you really know me, you would know my Father as well. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? John 14, 10. So to see Jesus is to see the Father. And to see us is to see Jesus. As I said before, this is what it means to be his body. And in chapter 14, verse 20, he says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So this is how Jesus explains what it means for us to be his expression, the expression of him in the, to the world. And so I submit to you that one of the primary purposes for which we have been brought into the world is to reveal Jesus. And we do it by becoming known and giving others the words that we have received from him, from the Father. Point four, an outrageous inheritance. Jesus says in John seventeen ten, all that I have is yours and all that you have is mine and glory has come to them, come to me through them. And so we talked about this before, but I just want to ask it once more time, one more time. What does the father have? Everything. 
What does the son have? What about you? Nothing? Something? (laughs) Your inheritance is an outrageous one. (laughs) Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17, right? Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17 says, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. So now what do you have? You should think about that. I mean, like, seriously, you should just say, take some time, get still, if you, like, and just, just think about it. Think about, like, what does it mean? And what what is everything? And what does it mean to be an heir and a co-heir? You know, we won't get all the answers here, obviously. But you should stir up your hope. You should kindle the fire of hope and expectation in your heart for the day you'll be united with your king who reigns over heaven and earth, who created all things seen and unseen. I mean, like the way you would do, like if you had a family member to pass away and, and they like, we got $8 million for you in your name. We're not talking about money, but I want you to feel this. It's a real life. This is our real lives. It's our real lives. Um, last thing, um, a safe journey. And um, we'll end with this. In John chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And I want to think through this with you. What does it mean for Jesus to ask the Father to protect them? What does it mean? And I'm like, how could Jesus pray this when he just said in John chapter 16, verse 2, he just said this, a time is coming when anyone who kills you would think they are offering to God a service. How could he pray, protect them by the power of your name? And just prior to that, he's like, they're going to wipe you out. And they're going to think that they're serving God when they do it. In addition to this, according to, um, according to tradition, all the apostles were put to death except for John. All of them were killed. And I believe the protection Jesus is praying is for the preservation of their faith, their faithfulness. As he says in 16 verse 1, 
All this I have told you so that you would not fall away. Remember the words of Jesus to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So in this sense, your journey will be safe. I want us to trust that you will and we will endure all the trials of this life, not because of our grip upon him, but because of his mighty grip upon us. You will have a safe journey and your faith will not fail. Amen. Jesus, he loved us so much that he came on a rescue mission to bring us home. He came and lived the life that you and I could not live. He died the death that you and I deserved. He took every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, and he brought them here. And when he was put to death on that cross, he absolved them in himself. He took them with him into the grave. So all the guilt, all the shame, the fear that you may have about the day you stand before him, he took it all on himself. It became his. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And he rose again from the grave triumphant, showing that he could take any broken person like us and restore us back into what God intended. And he is alive today as a king over the whole world. And he issues amnesty forgiveness and peace and life to all who would just believe in him, who would turn from living for themselves and live for him, that you too may become his son and his daughter, that you too could finally be in a family where you are known, loved, and accepted and lifted up from a dry and dark place. Or you can become the light of the world in him. Your love today. And in this truth, uh, we will transition into communion. We will eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, in the Old Testament, um, certain sacrifices were only for the priests. But in this New Testament in which we now live, you all become priests. And you all get the opportunity to eat of this sacrifice, this bread, and this cup. The way we take communion here is simply to tear off a piece of bread and to dip it into the cup. We have two stations in the front and two in the back. And the one on your right is a gluten-free option if that interests you.
And if you're in the room today and you're not trusting Jesus as your only hope, the king over your life, the love of your life, we want you to know that we're glad that you're here. Keep coming. But we ask that when we partake of this meal that you will refrain from doing so. But we do ask that you would take Jesus that he will become more satisfying to you than anything you can smell, taste, touch, hold, or imagine. And if you want someone to pray with you or someone to talk to you, we have a pastors here. We have Luke, we have Jared, Adam, Chuck. And they'll be available after service and would love to meet with you. So, everybody please stand, and let us pray. Lord, we, we love you, and we lift up our face to you in the heavens, and we say, we know that you're here, and we thank you that you brought us from darkness to light. May we take this gift of this sacrifice without shame, without guilt, without fear, but in full love that we are accepted in you. Amen.